Psalm 23. If you found it, I invite you to stand with me. Let's read together God's Word. If you recall, we've spent three weeks, and this isn't due to my creativity as a preacher. If you look down at the text, this psalm, which is kind of like a song, it has three stanzas. Verses 1 through 3, you'll notice a space in your Bible. Verse 4, you'll probably notice another space in your Bible. And then verses 5 and 6. We spent the first week looking at verses 1 through 3. We spent the second week looking at verse 4. Consequently, we will conclude our study today by looking at the third and final stanza, beginning in verse 5. Let's read beginning in verse 1 because it's a simple psalm. It's a short psalm. We'll get a running start and we'll finish what we began two weeks ago. Psalm 23. Hear now the words of our God, beginning in verse 1. A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you join me as we pray? Father in heaven, this is an all too familiar psalm, and as is so often the case, familiarity can tend to breed contempt, and so I pray for each of us that you would grant us ears to hear, fresh eyes of faith to see, the weight and wonder of your word found in these few verses. Blow away the fog of familiarity and open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Three weeks, six verses. By my count, roughly 113 words. If that's true, then the truth is, after I'm done today, I will have probably preached as many minutes as there are words in this psalm. In other words, Psalm 23, if you didn't know it before, you surely know it by now. I, I hope and trust and pray that what I prayed, and I even told you this in the first week, that all the foreign imagery of the psalm, that shepherd imagery that most of us have very little connection to, I pray that God by His Spirit has blown that fog away and you, you can see the beautiful portrait of the shepherd. But my suspicion is that most of you already we're pretty familiar with this psalm. I mean, it is a most well-known. In fact, several of you probably, as I just read it a moment ago, several of you probably didn't even need to look down at your Bible. You may have just been looking right up at me, and you had it memorized, hidden in your heart, and you were just reciting it out loud as I read it. In fact, I've seen several children in this lobby and the lobby at our Harris campus come up to me, some as young as four years of age, and have recited for me, word perfect, the 23rd Psalm. I even got a video of an entire family sitting around a table reciting the 23rd Psalm by memory together to show. This is, in other words, it's a psalm you're pretty stinking familiar with. But hear me. Oh, I pray you hear me. It's one thing to know the psalm. It's a whole other thing to know the shepherd. It's reported that there was a famed actor of the mid-20th century who was invited by his pastor allegedly, to come to this pastor's 50th anniversary celebration. And the pastor requested that this famed actor would recite the 23rd Psalm for all in attendance. 
This actor, it's a name you would know. I'm not going to share his name because he's got some crazy stuff out there, but you'd be familiar with his name. He uh, was actually in his early career, uh, he did some Shakespearean acting. In other words, he was an orator. This guy could communicate. And he agreed to do this for his pastor under the one condition that his pastor would come up after him and recite the 23rd Psalm as well. And so this actor stands before the great crowd gathered at the party and with the diction and the eloquence you would expect from such a trained actor, he beautifully, incomparably conveyed the 23rd Psalm to all who could hear him. Thereafter, that pastor, ineloquent as he was, came up after him and with stammering lips recited it as well. And what was remarkable is that the great crowd was more moved by the latter than the former. The crowd was stirred more by the ineloquence of the pastor than the grandiloquence of the actor. And when the actor sat down, somebody came and asked him, what do you make of that? Why do you think they like that so much? And it's reported that the actor turned to the person who asked and replied, I may know the psalm, but that guy knows the shepherd. And I wonder, do you? You may know the psalm of the shepherd, but do you know the shepherd of the psalm? Is the Lord your shepherd? Perhaps you'll say, I, I profess that he has been in good times. I mean, I, I now see from Psalm 23, 1 through 3, that it is he who has led me to green pastures and still waters. I credit him. I, I, I profess that he is a shepherd to me in good times. I'll even confess that he is a shepherd to me in bad times. I, I now see that it is he who has led me into the valley. It is he who will see me through the valley. But I wonder how many of you that have professed that and confessed that, that he is the shepherd in good times and bad times, would admit that you often second guess that he will be your shepherd at all times. Amen. Perhaps you're privately thinking, Kyler, I, you don't know how fickle my heart is, how prone I am to wander. I feel it. Sometimes I wonder if I'm going to stay a Christian. I see countless people around me that professed faith at one season and now they're gone, they're in the far country, and I wonder, is that going to be me? If you only knew the depth of the darkness of my own heart, then you would know it scares me. I wonder if he's actually going to see me all the way home. Am I going to make it home? Is, is that going to be me? And if that's you, this psalm is for you. I want you to see that this psalm comes full circle. The shepherd at last leads us all the way home. In other words, he who has led you this far is never going to leave you. He who began a good work in you, this psalm illustrates he is going to bring it to completion. Let's just say it as simply as I know how. Hear this, dear church. God won't let you go. He's never going to do it. If you are his, you are his. None can snatch you from the Father's hand. This psalm illustrates, in my judgment, the sustaining work of the shepherd to keep us in his shepherd care till we finally get home at last. Now, to see this, we need to clear up a debate. In verses 4 and 5, there's actually some debate on what's going on. Some suggest, on the one hand, that verses 4 and 5, uh, 5 and 6, I should say, forgive me, verses 5 and 6 change the metaphor, that we were once talking about a shepherd in verses 1 through 4, and once we get to verse 5, it changes to like a host, 
which is pretty clear. When you read it, it kind of looks like, you know, table, okay, we eat at a table, cup, we drink from a cup, oil, that's kind of weird, but maybe they anointed their head with oil coming in like they would in ancient times. Yeah, that, maybe that's what's going on. House of the Lord, we got invited into a house. Maybe that's what's going on here. Some scholars argue that. But there are many others who would conversely argue that the metaphor has not changed, that we're still talking about the shepherd and the sheep. And I am in the latter camp. Today, I want to contend that there is no change here, that what's happening in verses 5 and 6 is the shepherd is continuing his shepherd ministry all the way back home. The one who led us on this journey of life, so to speak, through green pastures, still waters, right paths through the valley is going to bring us full circle all the way home. I want you to see in verse 5, he is showing us how he'll sustain us on the long journey home until at last he brings us in verse 6, home at last. And I make this argument because the word table that you see, he prepares a table before me. Many scholars would contend that what he is describing there is, for lack of a better word, a table land. Now, that's a word we don't use. Here's a word we do use. He's describing a plateau. Or maybe you're familiar with the Spanish word mesa, a high, elevated, flat piece of land, which would be common to the shepherds of ancient Palestine. Shepherds would often, in the summertime, bring their flock up to these high elevations where they could get the nourishment they needed in cooler temperatures until fall would arrive, and fall would bid them to make their journey all the way back home. And I think David is reflecting back with a poet's eye, and he is remembering just as he took his sheep up to the high uh, pastures, the tablelands, so to speak, so too God has come and prepared these tablelands for his own soul as he makes his long journey back home. I want you to see, in other words, that there's five ways God is going to sustain us until at last he brings us home. I, I, I just kind of gave it in the most simple words I knew how, because when I preach, I want a fifth grader that has the Spirit of God within them to be able to hear me, to understand what I'm saying. So when you think about God never letting you go, I want you to think about these five things. These are the five things God is doing in your life presently to keep you. First, I want you to note that He's going to keep you safe. Second, He's going to make you sound. Everybody wants to be safe and sound. Third, I want you to see He's going to fill you up. He's going to fourthly chase you down. And then at last, He is going to bring you home. But I wrote that outline sometime this week, and then I got a little insecure about it because Thursday I uh, did a funeral at our Harris campus, and the young lady whose uh, loved one had passed away got up to testify about her father. And as she did, she started to share testimony, and her testimony was alliterated, which means every word starts with the same letter. And I was like, hmm, you know, I'm familiar with alliteration. And all of a sudden she says, I've done this in honor of Pastor Kyler, who alliterates all the time. And I was like, well, my word, now I feel like I need to go back and re-alliterate my sermon so that I don't let you down. i got to keep my reputation up. And folks, challenge accepted. I could tell you that God is going to protect you. He is going to preserve you, provide you, pursue you. He'll perfect you one day. I could have changed it up and said that he is going to secure you, sustain you, supply you, seek you, and save you. I can keep going if you'd like, but we'll just keep... <laughs> with the original outline at hand, because I think it's the simplest and the clearest. If you're taking notes, mark this down first. I want you to note, God's never going to let you go, because number one, He will keep you safe. Did you notice the word prepare? How does a shepherd prepare a table land? Well, in that day and time, those table lands were often overridden with two dangers, poisonous plants 
and predators. There's some more alliteration for you. There were often many plants in this rural, remote landscape that sheep were allergic to. They could die. It was poisonous. Azaleas, acorns, milkweed, all these crazy stuff, mountain laurel. They couldn't eat it. So shepherds would often go in advance and get rid of all of the uh, poisonous plants so that the sheep could come and graze without fear. Also, predators were often lurking around, and shepherds would prepare the ground by either like filling in holes that could have had snakes, or they even suggest they maybe put oil in those holes to keep snakes from coming out. That, I find that hard to believe, but I saw several people say that. At the very least, they would stand guard as their flocks were grazing on the mesa land to protect their flock in the presence of enemies. And I think what's going on in this verse is David is looking back once again with a poet's eye. And he was remembering how he would protect his flock as they grazed in the presence of enemies. And he is reflecting on the fact that his good shepherd, God Almighty, has done no, nothing less for him. That God has similarly shepherded him. He has proactively and protectively and providentially provided for David all the days of his life. I don't want to stretch this metaphor too far, but we could go so far as to say he has uprooted, so to speak, all the poisonous weeds of sin in David's life. He has pointed out sin, righteousness from unrighteousness. He has guided David all the days of his life. And are we not like the sheep that just like to try everything? We like to nibble here and dabble there. Some of you students right now are experimenting because, you know, I can stop if I want. But the truth is, what you're nibbling on right now might take your very life, so to speak. And there is a good shepherd who is pointing you. He's calling you this moment to say, stay away. Watch out for the uh, poisonous plants. He is guarding you this moment from the predator of all predators. Satan himself that the Bible describes as a roaring lion seeking to devour somebody. Praise be to God, though, that the scripture is clear that none can snatch them out of their father's hand when you belong to the shepherd. His shepherd care is such that he will keep you safe. Now, the trick is, and this is why I'm belaboring this point. I wonder how many of you in this room who are in Christ would say, Tyler, it feels to me like I'm the one that keeps me safe. I have to stay vigilant. I have to get up and do the right things over and over again. I'm the one that, you know, has stayed faithful to my wife. I'm the one that hasn't I mean, cheated at work. I'm the one that's doing this. And if that's you, I just want to plead that you hear me. I've, I've used this illustration before. It bears repeating. I got a little four-year-old daughter. And when Eliza and I cross the street together, Eliza will often, you know, reach out my hand. She knows that's the rule. You don't cross the street without holding daddy's hand. Now, do you think, as a father, I just put a limp hand down like this and expect Eliza in all of her strength to hold onto my hand as we cross the busy road together. Now, if I was a dad worth my salt, I wouldn't, of course. She may think in her experience that she is holding onto her daddy's hand, but all of us in this room know what's actually happening. I'm holding on to her hand. So too, you may feel this moment that it is you holding on to your maker, that it is you who is keeping yourself safe. All the while, have you forgotten that you and your childlike faith reaching up to your father, the truth of the matter is, though you feel like you're holding on to him, it is he who is holding on to you. God is never going to let you go. Firstly, he is going to keep you safe. He is going to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He'll keep you safe. But as I said earlier, people don't want to just be safe. Don't we all want to be safe and sound? 
praise be to God, he who keeps you safe will secondly make you sound. And I see this in the imagery of the head being anointed with oil. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What do we do with that? It's a kind of odd imagery. I think what's going on behind this psalm is David is remembering that sheep are not only prone to predators and poisonous plants, but they're also vulnerable to parasites. Now, forgive me, this is not going to make you hungry for lunch, but for sheep, they had two parasitic problems that were common. One would be little flies coming in their nose. They would plant eggs, the eggs would hatch, and doesn't that sound disgusting? It would cause them so much pain and trauma that they would sometimes beat their head to death into the ground from the irritation. Or also, they would have what's called scab, and it was a disease, a contagious disease of mites on the skin that once sheep got it, if they touched another sheep, it would spread, and before you know it, the entire flock would be infected with this, and there was nothing they could do about it unless they had a good shepherd who could come and anoint them with oil, fill their nostril cavity with uh, oil, or coat their head. Sometimes they would completely dip them, and that oil would not only heal them, but protect them from the disease spreading. And I see David once again with that poet's eye, reflecting back with the being anointed with oil. He's reflecting what he would do for his sheep and seeing what God has done for him. You know, oil in the Bible routinely is a picture of the Spirit of God. And I want you to see what God's Spirit can do for you when you consider the infectious uh, disease of sin, the contagious disease of sin, so to speak, in you. Sin is infectious, is it not? It's often small. Sin is a lot like a paper cut. seems fairly innocuous. It hurts, it stings, but you know, it's not a big deal. You don't go to the hospital for it. But if you don't clean the cut, what happens? What started as small and inconsequential can grow and grow. And before you know it, what was small has gotten bigger, and it can get so acute that your body could go into sepsis, theoretically, and you could die from just a cut. So, too, sin has that impact in us. If it goes ignored, it's like a little cut that will fester. And before you know it, you're in a jam. And praise be to God, you have a good shepherd who has anointed your head with oil. He has given you the Spirit of God who, let me describe this by analogy, the Spirit comes, and one of His great ministries is to point out the cut. He says, hey, look, do you see that? Do you know what we call that? The convicting power of the Spirit. The Spirit's great work in our lives is He convicts us of sin. He shows you the cut and says, do something about it. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. But He's not just the cosmic killjoy that points out sin from afar. For the Spirit alone does not just convict us of sin, the Spirit also sanctifies us of our sin. Here's what the Spirit does. He not only points out the cut, He actually comes and heals it. He makes us whole. That's why the Bible says in, in Romans 8, he tell, uh, Paul tells us in Romans, put to death the deeds of the body by what power? Your power? By your pastor's power? by your Sunday school teacher's power, your wife's power, your past power, your future power. Put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit of God. 
It is the Spirit that can heal you. It is the Spirit that can convict you. Praise be to God. He who keeps us safe is He who will make us sound. He not only prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies as we go through this journey of life, He is anointing our head with oil, with the Spirit of God, convicting us and sanctifying us. He is making us sound. But as we continue our study, I want you to see a third way He is sustaining you. He is never letting you go. He who keeps you safe is He who makes you sound. And thirdly, I want you to see at the latter half of this verse, He also will fill you up in this dry and weary land where there is no water. How many of you feel like your life is a dry and weary land where there is no water? where it feels like you are just barely surviving day by day. Spiritually, you're in an absolute drought right now. You have a good shepherd who has promised to fill you up when you can't fill yourself. Let's go back to the imagery now. When you read the verse, my cup overflows, it should shock you. Because if you know anything about geography, topography, then you would know that there's one thing you're not going to find up on top of a mesa. It's water. It's going to run off. You're not going to have any water there. If it rains, it's instantly gone. It's going down the mountain. So what would you do? Because you need water to survive. They would often build wells on top of mesas. And they would have to dig very deep to get a source of water. Now, there's two features of these wells you need to consider with me. On the one hand, these wells were very expensive, very costly. They were not cheap. That's why uh, cities were often built around them. That's why, if you read the Old Testament, have you noticed how obsessed the Old Testament seems to be with wells? Cities are named after them. Some people get named after them. Jesus goes to a famous well of Jacob. You just hear about it a lot. It's because they were unbelievably expensive to make. They were life-giving. But to be life-giving, they were not only costly, they were deep. They had to go down very deep to get a reliable source of water. And once they struck the water table and got that reliable source, the water would gush forward and the cups would overflow. And a shepherd would go and scoop that water, fill the cup overflowing, and water, so to speak, his sheep. And again, David, with a poet's eye, is reflecting back and remembering how God has been so good to provide for him in the dry and weary seasons of his life when there was no spiritual water. And he's remembering the cost of God's goodness to him. He is reflecting that there was nothing he could have done in and of himself to quench his spiritual thirst, that God did for him what he could not do for himself. He's recognizing the depth of God's goodness to him. He is saying spiritually, my cup overflows. God has been so good to me, I don't even have a good way to explain it. I am overflowing with the goodness and kindness of my good shepherd. Praise God that I have a shepherd who at a great cost has been so good to me. And if David could have sang that so many thousand years ago, consider how much more we can this side of Calvary. For do we not see much more clearly than David the cost of his goodness to us shown at the cross of Calvary where Jesus literally drank the cup, the scripture says. He took the cup of God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to. Rather, we could drink the overflowing cup of his grace forevermore. Have you forgotten the depth of his goodness to us shown on the cross of Calvary when Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself? That's why we are a singing people because ours is a good God who's never going to let us go. He's going to keep us safe. He's going to make us sound. 
Oh, praise be to God. He is going to fill us up. And I want you to see, fourthly, that he is going to chase you down. Some of you in this room are in the far country. It's by accident, at least it feels like coincidence, that you're here. Mom begged you. Dad guilted you. You're here. But you really want nothing to do with this. Some of you, nobody knows you're in the far country, but spiritually your heart is as far as can be. And there is a precious word from our maker to you this hour. If indeed you are in Christ, if indeed you are a sheep of his pasture, if he knows you by name, take it to the bank. He is never going to let you go. He's going to chase you down. And I make this point because in the Hebrew, when you read verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. That word follow, rapad in Hebrew, literally means to chase, to hunt, to pursue. And, and what's happening, we think here, is that David is reflecting back on something that was chasing his sheep and pursuing his sheep. Now, what would those things have been? How could we possibly suggest goodness and mercy somehow chased sheep? I was shocked when I first discovered this, but there are a few commentators who make this conclusion that I find actually quite thought-provoking. Whether it's actually true or not, my point stands, but bear with me. Both Job and Isaiah in the Old Testament tell us that sheepdogs were common in Israel, that shepherds often had dogs to help them. They literally talk about them in both of those books of the Bible, Job 30 and it's like Isaiah 50 or something like that. And there are many commentators who wonder if David metaphorically is recollecting that goodness and mercy were metaphorically two sheepdogs, twin dogs that were chasing the flock with him to keep them. They were following, pursuing, hunting the sheep down all the days of his life. Now, whether or not this is actually what he's recollecting, the point stands. Whether it was a dog or not, here's what we do know is pursuing us and chasing us. Goodness. That means welfare. God has your welfare in mind. Goodness is hunting you down. Mercy, that means unconditional love of God. It is chasing you down. Praise the Lord that goodness and mercy pursue us all the days of our life. Let's just tease out the imagery here. That means goodness is directing you from the beside you, whereas mercy is protecting you from behind you. Goodness is guiding your steps, and mercy is guarding you from stumbling. You've got goodness pursuing you in the valley, and you've got mercy that's rescuing you in the far country. God is never going to let you go. He is going to chase you down. And the Bible says he is surely going to do this. That means he is unfailingly, without a doubt, going to find you. This is the imagery of Luke 15, the famed parable of the lost sheep, where that shepherd searched high and low till at last he found that one lost sheep and he rescued him and brought him home. So too, there is a good God who is unfailingly chasing you down. And did you notice it says, most of the days of my life, some of the days of my life, few of the days of my life, the some, you know, the, the majority of the days of my life. No, praise God, it's all the days of my life, which means he who is unfailingly chasing you down is he who is unwaveringly going to chase you down. He's not going to change his mind down the road. If you belong to the shepherd, you belong to him. He is never, ever, ever going to let you go. And if you try to get away, he is going to chase you 
down. Oh, is our shepherd not a good shepherd? Oh, is he not so good? He who is keeping us safe is making us sound. He who is filling us up is chasing us down. But we're not home yet, which is why the psalm ends so wondrously, so wonderfully at the end of verse 6. Praise God, fifth and finally, God's never going to let you go because fifth and finally, he is going to bring you home. The image is so clear, it almost seems like he's leaving the metaphor when he says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall surely return back to my home is what he's basically saying in this verse. I am coming back to dwell, literally to return to live with at home in the presence of the shepherd. David is very clearly, is he not, referring to heaven? For what sheep is going to live forever at home? He is talking about heaven here. And just consider the glories of heaven he is recollecting. He recognizes that he is going to be in the house of the Lord, which means he's going to be in the presence of God. He's coming where God is going to be. Heaven is not a place where people sit on clouds and strum harps. It's a place where they're going to see God. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what makes heaven heaven. It's God. He gets to be in the house of God, of the Lord. It's going to be a place where he is we're going to dwell with God Revelation 21 and verse 3 tells us we will dwell with him he will be our God and we will be his people we are going to one day at last get all the way home to be with the one for whom we were made and we won't just get a drive by we won't just get a pop in and then he lets us go for the final word of this verse is the first word of eternity forever we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Praise God that he who began a good work in us is going to bring it to completion. Amen. Praise God that our good shepherd is never going to let us go. He is going to keep us safe. He is going to make us sound. He is going to fill us up. He'll chase you down. And he is going to bring you all the way home. Thus concludes the famed psalm of the shepherd. But I wonder how many of you know the shepherd of that psalm. Is the Lord your shepherd? Do you know him as the good shepherd that John describes as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep? Do you know him as that? Do you recognize that Jesus died for you so that you wouldn't have to take the punishment of sin yourself? Do you know him as the good shepherd? Dear church, do you know him as the great shepherd? that the writer of Hebrews says is going to be risen from the dead, raised from the dead, who is risen, reigning this moment for you. Do you recognize that your great shepherd, Jesus, is alive this day? He who died for you, rose for you. He is making a demand on your life today. Do you know him as the chief shepherd that Peter describes as one who didn't merely die for you and didn't merely rise for you, but is coming again for you? Do you know him as that good, great, and chief shepherd? I pray you hear this final thing I must say to you. There are some in this room that I am pleading, lend me your ear. 
you're never going to know the Lord as your shepherd until you come to know the shepherd as your Lord. You'll never be in his flock unless you come through him. The scripture tells us in John 10 that the shepherd is the gate. He is the door. You don't get into the flock unless you come through him. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No man comes to the Father but through me. And so if you want to taste and see the glory of life eternal at home in the flock of God, you can only taste that if you come to Jesus. So I plead that you would come to the shepherd this day. But it is not enough to merely waltz in through the door of the shepherd. The Bible also says that if you are in the fold of God, if you are a member of his flock, he knows you by name and you recognize his voice. You follow him. So the call to you this day is twin. Not just that you would come to him, but that you would follow him. And if you do, oh, if you come and follow that good, great chief shepherd, then you can join each of us who together for the rest of our days as we journey home you can join us in singing the sweetest of songs ever sung. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to have to fear any evil for he's with me. His rod and his staff They comfort me. He's preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's anointing my head with oil. My cup is overflowing. Therefore, surely, 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 goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. And I, we, you are going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Praise God that he'll never let us go. Why don't you join me as we pray? With your heads bowed as we go to the Lord in a time of commitment. The invitation to you right now is to come through the door, which is Jesus, the good shepherd of the sheep. If you don't know him in a moment, we're going to sing. And as we do, there will be men down here at the front, pastors. They're here to talk with you, to pray with you. They'll be in the lobby after the service as well, should you choose. You come. And you learn how to walk through the door into the sheepfold of God. Oh, I pray that you would come and see that the good, great, and chief shepherd is worthy of your life. He will see your soul safely home. But for the majority of us today, I trust we, I, need to recommit to follow his voice. To trust that he is keeping me safe when I can't keep myself safe. He is making me sound when I am not my own physician. He is filling me up when I am weary. He is chasing me down when I am wandering. And He alone is going to see me all the way home. And I am looking forward to that day when I throw every crown at His feet and I give Him all the praise, glory, and honor that's due His name for seeing me all the way home. I pray that would be true for you. Father in heaven, I pray that you would seal this shepherd's psalm to my heart and all who can hear me. Thank you, O God, that you are a good, great, and chief shepherd who died for us, rose for us, and is coming again for us. Until that day comes, Lord, never let us go. See us home, we pray. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?